This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants stores. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk downs. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumors. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stanko running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. I had no plans to do a podcast today. Was going to take the day just to relax, lounge, uh, hang out, and then Game Six happened. Don't even know how to describe it, but I'm going to be forced to in a little bit. But Matt Walsh, good friend of the podcast, star at Florida, NBA player, star overseas. Uh, texted last night and said we had to do a podcast today because he had a lot on his mind, a lot to talk about. So, Matt, welcome back to the podcast. And uh, where do we start on on Game Six? Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how we can't do a podcast after that game last night. I mean, we got guys getting ejected, all time performances, a forced Game Seven. I mean, this is pretty much basketball heaven here for NBA fans. Oh, uh, it's it's really bananas. So. Well, first and foremost, I think let's take it from the beginning. A lot of people expected, you know, the Warriors, even though, um, you know, the Cavs had won in gold, you know, at at Oracle. We expected that the Cavs in game six, uh, you expected a close game at the very least. And you expected, you know, competition from the start. And most people expected, I think, the Warriors to win game six. Um, and with that being the case, we saw a four, first quarter in which Cleveland comes out and jumps on Golden State 31-11. to 11. So right from the jump, what, what were your initial reactions to, uh, to what you were seeing? I think the most surprising thing, or I mean maybe not that surprising, is that everyone else on Golden State, they're kind of playing not at the highest level. I mean, you have Curry and Thompson who are doing their thing, but you have Draymond who's not playing well, Iguodala's hurt. You're not getting the same production, and which has been pretty consistent for them on the road throughout the playoffs. They haven't, but, you know, the Livingston wasn't great last night. Barbosa played well off the bench, but they're not getting anything from their, you know, their complementary players. And when Golden State doesn't and Curry and Thompson aren't absolutely insane, they're a very beatable team, especially when LeBron is just playing on a level that we haven't seen, I don't think, since Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best – comparison i mean and just you know I, I hate to throw that out there but i mean lebron is just otherworldly right now and i will get to him a little bit i i want to focus on on what you're bringing up in terms of the help that that the big two for the warriors i mean people call them the big three with draymond green but i'm calling them the big two steph curry and clay thompson obviously again finding ways to score last night 
um, you know, maybe not in the the most dramatic fashion as we've seen in, in you know throughout these playoffs, but still they're getting theirs. Uh, Matt, I'm curious as to to the ball rotation because I'm watching with Golden State. You know, we see a lot of the the high screen roll stuff that the Warriors like to run. Curry gets up, you know, gets doubled, or there's an immediate switch, and then a lot of times if he's throwing that pass out of the double team. That starts sort of that that ball rotation that's so difficult to stop with the Warriors, especially because they have guys that can shoot. But Draymond, like you brought up, hasn't been good on the road. In fact, he's been terrible on the road. And Harrison Barnes is an absolute mess. He's two for his last 22, I think it is. Um, yeah, he was two for 14 in game five, 0 for eight in game six, completely in his head. So I want you to take me through the mentality of both teams. First, from the Warriors, when you know that guys other than your stars aren't producing, what that's like. And then for the Cavs, just how their defensive intensity may, you know, and strategy may change, uh, knowing that the other players aren't stepping up. Yeah, I mean, if you look back just a week and a half ago, Golden State blows out Cleveland the first two games, and everyone's saying, you know, uh, you know, they're just taking Curry out of the game and everyone, you know, and everyone else is beating them and everyone was killing Ty Lue and them for the strategy. And now that the series is getting tighter, you're seeing these guys get a little bit tight on their shots. They're missing short and they've pretty, they've been pretty consistent with how they're, you know, they're trying their best to take Curry and Thompson out of the game and making these other guys beat them. And in game seven, it'll be tougher. The, you know, the role players, complimentary guys will be at home. So they'll feel a little bit more comfortable, but those are the guys that feel the pressure more than anyone. Uh, you know, the guys like Curry and Thompson and LeBron, those guys have the ball in their hands all the time. They have a feel for the game, even when there's pressure. But those other guys, when they're not getting touches and the only touch they're getting is when the ball swings around to them and they have an open look and, you know, everything's on them to make those shots, those are really difficult shots to make for those role players, especially now that the pressure has turned up. So I think a lot of credit, should go to Ty Lue and Cleveland. Obviously, they're playing with a different level of intensity and urgency, but they've pretty much stayed with that game plan of we're going to make these other guys beat us. And in the first two games, they did, but since then, they haven't been able to. And you can see, I mean, the Golden State team is totally different these last few games. They're tight. They're nervous. There's there's something there. They don't have that same swagger. And it's like Cleveland's coming out and just hitting them in the mouth, and they're, they're shocked. I mean, when you just start a game down 10-0, your psyche just goes down. You're like, man, these guys are here. You, you know, you have to, you have to go win that game last night. You have to come out and jump on Cleveland and make them think like, oh man, we are in for a war here. Instead, Cleveland jumped on them and they never really, they never really had a chance to get in the game. Harrison Barnes specifically, Matt. Um, I just talked about the numbers that you know he, and these are not his shooting is is not just that it's been bad. Um, and that it's been a struggle, but he's getting wide open looks and just not knocking them down. When you're in that position and you're a guy that's that's not a primary guy on the team, but certainly a vital player to this to this Warrior squad, um, for how do you get out of a slump like that? That's a terrible feeling. Again, because you know you're only going to get a couple looks, and then you know you may have a quick trigger. Kerr might yank him out, so. He, he he knows he's not getting 15, 16 shots, and if he misses a couple first ones, it's not a big deal. I mean, you just start thinking about it. You're like, man, these are wide-open looks, and you get the ball, and you're a little bit tight, and you're like, oh, i got to make this one. i got to make this one, and then it just magnifies. And then the next one, all right, I missed this one. i got to make the next one. i got to make the next one. 
it's really tough for a role player who is not involved a lot offensively to shake out of a slump like that. It's much easier if you're a guy who's getting 20 shots a game. You, you, you can miss 20 in a row, but you know you're getting another 20 next game. So it's a lot easier mentally. Harrison Barnes, I mean, I could see him making some shots at home because it's at home and because he's going to have the fans behind him. But if he misses that first and second shot of game seven, they could be in for a long game. Yeah, and the thing is, he he's necessary to that team, not just offensively, but defensively as well. Uh, but on the offensive end, I think what's so critical, both with Barnes, Green, and Iguodala is the same way. Um, the Warriors, to me, all year long, they killed the other team's psyche because if you did shut down Curry and Thompson on a possession, obviously not for a game, but you shut them down for a possession – and you know, hold them in check and force them to get rid of the basketball. And then one of those other guys hits a big shot on you. You know, whether it's a Barnes, Iggy, or Draymond three, or you know, in the playoffs we saw Verjao hit a hit a runner. Um, we've seen you know Barbosa finish with some easy layups at the at the hoop. You know, we've seen um, Sean Livingston hit his pull up. And it always seems that that those are the crushing blows to the opponent's psyche when we see one of those other guys um, chip away at the team as opposed to the stars. It's almost like opponents know that they're going to give up buckets from Curry and Thompson, but but when it's somebody else, it's crushing. And and we just haven't seen those other Warriors guys step up over the last couple of games. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, as an opponent, when you're playing and you think, all right, we take away Curry, we take away uh, Thompson, and then all of a sudden you swing it and you have, like you said, Varejao hitting a floater or Barnes hitting two threes in a row. It's absolutely devastating because you, you're thinking to yourself, man, we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do here, and they're still beating us. And on the other side of that, when you know these guys, Barnes and Livingston, I mean, they've played in big moments, and obviously over the last two years they've played in big games, but for the most part they're used to Curry and Thompson carrying that team and Draymond to a lesser extent they're used to those guys taking all the big shots. And now these last two games, and especially in game seven, every possession matters. And you can feel that. You can feel that as a player when you're out there. and You know, your team's relying on you, and there's build-up pressure, and, you know, you've missed three in a row, and you've got to make this fourth one. And that has an effect on guys, and that has a greater effect on guys who aren't involved as regularly like the, you know, the complementary players on the Warriors. Well, let's take this now to the, to the Cavs' perspective. Uh, we we understand where there's flaws with with the Warriors and 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 all, but but as far as the Cavs go, it's it's funny. We saw the first two games uh, being played at Oracle, and we saw that strategy. Hey, the Cavs defensively going to try to take out Curry and Thompson, let the other guys beat us, and they did. And and we saw a lot of just mistakes defensively, uh, trying to you know switch basically every. Every possession, every screen, every opportunity they got, they were switching. But then, you know, their defensive assignments were, were just a mess. And it seemed like there was just a lot of miscommunication during those first two games. Um, defensively first, Matt, and then we'll get into the offense. But defensively, what kind of changes have you seen from the Cavs' perspective just since game two? Two things really stick out to me. One, just the overall sense of urgency, which starts with LeBron. As good as Kyrie has been, and he's been better defensively, offensively, he feeds off that, but as good as Kyrie's been, the Cavs go as LeBron goes, and he has just been all over the place, blocking shots, 
getting in passing lanes. And the other guys follow suit. They have just played – they've been swarming on defense. And even when they make mistakes, you know, they're making the extra rotation. J.R. Smith's out there diving on the floor. Guys are picking him up. And then the second thing that sticks out to me is Kevin Love is just an albatross out there on defense. I mean, even last night in the game, he came out, and when Thompson hit at the end of the third quarter, when Thompson scored eight to ten points, two of those threes, I think, were right in Kevin Love's face, and he was guarding Barajal. You have to know the situation. You have to get in Kevin or uh, Thompson's face. You can't, you can't allow that. And he's just been really – I think people have talked about his struggles, one for five in game five. And, you know, he wasn't great last night, even though he had a decent third quarter. But defensively, there's just such a difference when he's out there compared to even Richard Jefferson, who's 40 years old. He, he's making a better effort defensively than Kevin Love right now. Yeah, and the interesting thing I've noticed about, about Kevin Love is just how often – the Warriors, and I think they've done a great job with this, have just attacked Kevin Love. And I'm curious from a player's perspective, because we've all been in those situations, even though we don't we don't want to admit it, when another team has uh has targeted us defensively. Um and it, it, it's it's a mental struggle all of a sudden that that you're the guy that they're trying to to attack on the on the defensive end. how do you think that's impacting him on, on both ends of the floor? Oh, I think it's having an impact on him throughout, I mean, on both ends, his whole game. That is a terrible feeling, especially when, you know, Kevin Love's used to being a big part of the offense. And for the most part here, he's just been, you know, demoted to standing in the corner. He's doing a good job. People are, I mean, offensively, he's taking Draymond completely out of the play. They can't help off Kevin Love. He's spreading the court. He's doing his job. He's essentially a decoy, and that's fine. But on the other end, when you just know, like, oh, man, they're coming at me every time. It's a terrible feeling, and I think you're seeing that. You know, he's frustrated. He's getting in foul trouble, but it, it, you can see it on his face that he—he he just. I don't know if he's built to to fight through that. You know, some guys have the makeup where they're like, "Screw this, come on!" Like, I'll get the next stop. I think he's more on the defensive end, hoping like, "Please don't come at me next time. Please don't come at me next time." The Cavs starters last night. J.R. Smith had a plus minus of plus twenty. Kyrie Irving had plus 25, Tristan Thompson plus 32, LeBron plus 26, Kevin Love minus six. Um, pretty remarkable. And I'm not a big believer in, in the plus minus stat because it can be skewed, um, especially when you when you have when you're not the guy on your team. That's that can certainly be skewed. And certainly in just 12 minutes that Love played, things can also be skewed. But all, all that being said, I do uh, want to put the some of this focus on on LeBron. I mean, I, we have to talk about the impact that he's made. I mean, you watched him for a long time. You played against him in high school. Um, first of all, before we even move on, I mean, people can hear some of the stories in the past when we've when we've had you on the podcast. But but Matt, um, first time you played against LeBron James, why don't you give that story real quick? Well, it's funny. We were the I played at Germantown Academy, and we were the number three team in the country. I was a senior. Senior LeBron was a junior, and they were the number four team. So we scheduled a game with them in Akron at Akron University, University of Akron. And um, I remember the they picked us up from the from the airport, and it was one of the managers, team managers or something. I was asking him about LeBron. He was saying, "Hey, incredible!" And I had read so much about him, and I just remember in my head thinking, like, this guy cannot be that good. Like, he can't be that good. 
So fast forward 24 hours to the game, and they ended up beating us by a couple points. But I think LeBron's final stat line was like 38 points, 16 rebounds, 10 assists, 10 blocks, <laughs> like five steals. Something so ridiculous. It was like you can't make it up. And in the first quarter, we were thinking, like, oh, we'll make him shoot. He hit like five three-pointers. And he was so good that after the game, I remember thinking, like, man, he is the real deal. Like, he is the next Jordan. He is the next one. And it was a rarity for me because in my high school days, you know, you'd hear about somebody and then you'd go see him and you'd be like, ah, oh, well, you know, he's just a super athlete. You know, he doesn't have a silver game. LeBron did it all. He was just – I remember, like, going back and telling my buddies in high school, like, LeBron James is the truth. And after the game, he said to me, he's like, Matt, I'm going to come visit you at Florida next year. And I looked at him, and I was like, man, get the F out of here. You're not coming to Florida. You're going straight to the NBA. And, I mean, obviously the rest is history. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My my first uh, time seeing LeBron live, um, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before or not, but, but probably. Um, it was uh, heading into his junior year, so a few months before you had that interaction with him. Uh, and it was at uh, the Adidas ABCD camp, and I had brought – my brother to the my little brother to the camp and I, I was covering it and I brought Dave McMiniman uh the ESPN writer who now ironically covers LeBron um yeah. but uh, I brought at the time Dave was in high school and uh was an intern for the show that I was working on so I brought the both of them to the game and we were just sitting down courtside and at ABCD all the kids have you know, reversible jerseys with three numbers on them, you know, and it's like 187, um, 241, whatever. And we're looking at at uh, at these kids and we're trying to figure out which one is LeBron. Um, and we're watching maybe for two minutes of, of game action. We knew he was playing on a particular court, but we didn't know what his jersey number was. All of a sudden, a kid makes a, a pass to the, the kids, bringing the ball up the floor, brings a, makes a pass to the wing. LeBron out of nowhere deflects the pass. So now the ball's bouncing out of bounds. He runs over and in one motion grabs the ball to save it out of bounds, throws it behind his back, down court, down the other end of the court, so that he could start a fast break. Some kid from his team starts running down court, picks up the ball, goes to lay it up. Misses the layup and LeBron follows it up with a dunk. I I could not believe what I had just seen, and it was very clear to all three of us who LeBron James was at that moment. Um, a couple days later, he ends up having his big um, his big Lenny confrontation Cook, with Lenny yeah. Cook. Yep, and then hits like a 35, 40 footer to win it. And I remember your old teammate Andre, um, uh, what's his name, Robinson. Matt Andre Roberson. Yep, yep. Roberson Anthony runs Robinson over. Uh, Anthony Roberson. <laughs> I'm confusing Andre Roberson from Colorado and, and Anthony Roberson, your old teammate. So Anthony Anthony Roberson um, goes running out, gives him a hug. The whole camp sort of uh, crowds around him. And it was just this remarkable, remarkable moment just to see how people were gravitating to him at the time. And the thing that blew me away most about LeBron at that time was obviously he's physically imposing and had great size, but more than anything else, his passing ability was just incredibly unique for anyone that age, never mind someone at his size. And his first step was so quick. He just blew by anybody that he wanted to. 
And I, I was shocked his between his physical attributes and his understanding of the game. Uh, I knew we were seeing something that was that was going to be truly great. And in spite of all that, in spite of what you're just talking about, what it, what I'm telling people, 41 points, 11 assists, eight boards, four steals, three blocks. I tweeted last night that he's averaging over two steals and two blocks a game in this finals. I think the last guy to do that was Akeem in 1995. Um, I, I mean, Matt, how, how great is the level of play we're seeing right now from LeBron? It's, in a word, it's just insane. I mean, you look at these numbers in a vacuum. These are averages. 30 points, 11 rebounds, 8.5 assists, 2.7 steals, 2.2 blocks, 51% from the field, and 40% from three. I mean, in a finals, in, a, in through six games, this isn't like a two-game average. He's leading the finals in every statistical category that matters. It's insane. And people want to talk about this guy like he doesn't come up big in big games. I hope that that is officially done. I hope we never have that discussion ever again. Because these last two games, back-to-back 40-point games, the way he's just carried the team. Last night even, when they came out at the beginning of the third quarter and they had cut the lead to eight, LeBron immediately gets fouled. Then he hits that little leaner. I mean, he just sets the tone. And these last two games, I really hope he comes out in game seven with the same mindset. Because if I'm a betting my life right now, I'm putting my life in the hands of the best player in the world. Right now, that's LeBron James. And I'm just, I, ca- I cannot wait for game seven because whatever LeBron has in store for us, it's going to be awesome. There's an old adage that, you know, the team that wins the series is almost always the team that has the best player in the series. And uh, certainly, LeBron is is putting his stamp on on trying to prove that to be the case. And on the flip side, we could see Steph Curry come out and have, you know, a Curry flurry as uh, Art Spander, the writer up here in, in San Francisco, has tabbed it. Um, and, and you don't know what can happen in, in regards to what, what Steph, we know the shows that, that he can put on and how incredible he's been. I love that this NBA season has come down to, to this final seventh game. Another thing about LeBron, Matt, that I find just to be fascinating is because of his versatility and his unselfishness, we're seeing the passes again that he loves to throw the no look, the cool bounce passes, the the bounce passes with one hand that he throws with some English on them. We saw one on the break last night that uh, I think um, either ended up in a missed layup or at least a foul, but LeBron had a ridiculous thread the needle pass um, he had a few of them, but but there was one uh, on the break that was pretty insane, and I don't think we'll see it again again because the, the the play wasn't finished off. But I'm curious as to how much his passing ability, his unselfishness, his versatility has enabled the other guys to feel comfortable in their own roles because they don't have to do as much almost. Oh, I mean, there's no better feeling, I, I mean, I can imagine than playing on the court with LeBron. Um, because you know, one, if you're open, you're going to get the ball, that LeBron's going to trust you to get the ball, as opposed to, say, you know, some of the guys who, you know, maybe at times played with Kobe, and you never know if you're going to get the ball. Or, And then, two, the pass is going to be delivered on time. And then, three, LeBron, he, he has a positive way about him. He has a way of, you know, making those guys believe that they're going to make the shot. He's telling guys, shoot the ball. I mean, you can see J.R. Smith especially feeds off LeBron. When LeBron gets going, he's getting guys involved. And um, and I think LeBron is the only guy in the NBA, without a doubt, that could be 
on a, the the second top dog. I mean, he's obviously the top dog with Kyrie Irving and go to the finals because it takes a special kind of guy to play with Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie, even in game five, he 15 times he came up the court and didn't make a pass and shot the ball. To to be the to be the big dog like LeBron and be able to accept that and get the other guys involved and and still go out there and score 41 with 15 and 10. There's there's nobody even even Michael Jordan. There's nobody who's ever been able to do things like that in the NBA. And I don't know if we'll ever see anything like it again. On the flip side, back to the Warriors again. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what happened with Steph Curry and him throwing the mouthpiece. Um, I think you're the one, basically, that's ba- that's that's made the uh, Udonis Haslam comparison go viral. Um, Steph Curry frustrated knows how bad the situation is for him, how desperate he is. You can feel it all over him. You can feel the frustration, the tension. Takes his mouthpiece, which he has done multiple times this this season. This isn't the first time we've seen him do it. But he flung that mouth mouthpiece. He fired it into the crowd, right into the first row, and hit a guy in the face. Um, and you bring up the, the Haslam comparison that had happened when, when uh, Udonis got suspended for a game. Um, so tell me about your thoughts on, upon seeing what, what happened there with, uh, with Steph throwing the mouthpiece. Well, first, I think it came out that him and Kerr just got fined 25 grand. So I think this they did. Yep. out the window. Um, yep. But it was interesting. I think that it finally just boiled over for Steph, especially it happened about a minute after LeBron blocked his layup and let him know about it, which I love. My favorite part <laughs> of the NBA season so far. But I think it's just frustrating. You know, I don't think that the Warriors ever dreamed they'd be in this position, you know, heading back home for a game seven. They're supremely confident. Steph, I mean, Steph had a great game. I understand he was frustrated with the fouls, but the reality is that's happened throughout the finals. The first two games, LeBron was getting hammered, didn't get any calls. I mean, can you imagine if LeBron would have done something similar to that, how Twitter would have exploded? So <laughs> uh, I think it was just a culmination of things. I think he's frustrated. Um but, I mean, talk about drama and awesome TV. I mean, I, I literally was up for like an hour when I got in bed last night just reading through Twitter because it was just awesome seeing all the takes from everyone and the NBA guys chiming in. And as a basketball fan, I'm thrilled that, you know, he's not suspended. There can't be anything better than Game 7, Curry versus LeBron. And Steph is just so incredible. The fact that last night it was a 20-point game, third quarter, with him and Thompson, you ne- you're never out of the game. I mean, you saw that with Thompson, 10 quick points. There's no, I don't think there's ever been anything like it where no, no matter what the lead is, it's not safe. And even when it got down to seven, you feel like it's a one-point game because that's two quick possessions from Curry, and it's a tie game. It's, it's, just, it's just wild to see. And I, think, I think we're going to see the best of Steph and the best of LeBron in game seven, so I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I really, I cannot wait to to get to this game seven. And so much is on the line. I mean, Golden State Warriors, obviously, best record that we've ever seen, seventy three and nine during the regular season. Um, you know, being talked about as as the greatest team of all time, certainly in the discussion as as one of the greatest teams of all time, based on that regular season record alone and just all that they accomplished. You know, Steph Curry's four hundred three pointers. Uh, the fact that Steph and Clay had two of the best three-point shooting seasons of all time. I mean, what they did this year, the comebacks that they made, how no lead, as you just mentioned, was never safe. I mean, th- it was truly a remarkable dream season for this team. And then coming back against 
Oklahoma City when they were down 3-1 and it looked over and they rally back and come back and win it in seven. To now turn around and have this now play out in game seven is remarkable, especially when you consider that no team has ever come back from 3-1 in the NBA Finals and the Cavs have a chance to do that. So how do you think game seven plays out? Man, you're not kidding. There is so much on the line for this game. Like you said, I mean, if, I think the 96 Bulls coined the phrase, it don't mean a thing without the ring. <laughs> I mean, 15 years from now, we won't be talking about this Warriors team except for the fact that they choked in the finals. We won't be talking about that 73-9. and nine. I think actually now they're 16-9 and nine or something, 15-9 and nine in the playoffs. So they actually have as many losses over the last 24 games as they did through 82, which is insane. Um, and then you look at LeBron. I mean, if he can carry his team to the first ever team to come back from 3-1 in the finals in the manner that he's doing it, I think he solidifies himself as the number two, the second best player of all time. And he enters that discussion of, you know, depending on how the next few years go, is you know, him and Michael Jordan is the clear best players of all time. Because it's not just the fact that they've came back to tie at 3-3. It's how he's doing it. It's the way he's carrying himself. It's the, you know, blocking Steph's shot and telling him about it, just taking it on his shoulders that he's not going to let his team lose. And, man, I mean, i got to be honest. For me, I'm hoping LeBron does it. It would be an awesome storyline. And Like I said, I think we're going to see the best of Steph and the best of LeBron. But, again, my money's on LeBron. I'm going Cavs. Cavs are going to win the game. About the black block shot, Matt, I – Got into an argument with my wife last night. Uh, she won't be listening to this podcast, so I'm not I'm not worried about revealing uh, marital <laughs> secrets or anything. But we got into an argument. She's a, a Bay Area girl, and she, you know, was obviously rooting for the Warriors. And I loved when LeBron started talking to Steph after getting that that block. And I'm a I'm a huge Steph Curry fan, so it, it wasn't about LeBron over Steph. It was just the idea of. When you played the game, you understand how important intimidation is. You understand how important confidence is. And there are many times where we see players boast or, you know, point to their biceps or give a look or talk trash. And it doesn't mean anything. And it's it's false bravado. And it doesn't impact the game at all. And there are other times where a guy can get in your head and ruin you. And I... I, Steph will not be ruined by what happened. That's not what I'm talking about. But I was trying to explain to my wife last night how critical a play like that is. You know, Steph scores easily around the basket because he's got such a variety of, of moves down low and he's such a good finisher. And I was trying to explain to her how that kind of intimidation means that it's Steph is going to have to think twice when he goes to the basket again, and that will get in his head. And it felt very Jordan-esque, and, and I mean that as high praise. Uh, you know, in all the stories we've ever heard, him ruining Muggsy Bogues' career by comments that he said to, to Muggsy. You know, um, we've, you know, we know the stories about how he ruined teammates' careers, about just how he treated them in practice and, and all that. And it, look, they're different guys. I, I don't like the comparisons typically, but in this instance... I do think that that kind of intimidation and that kind of a not today moment really means something. I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. I, I couldn't agree more, and that was why I loved it. I didn't just love it because of the fact that it was talking trash. I loved it that 
you know, everyone was in, has been for the last two seasons anointing Steph as the best player in the NBA, and you know the series is over, and LeBron has just kind of risen and brought his team back, and that was just the culmination of all of it. LeBron's dominating this game. Steph's frustrated. It's Steph versus LeBron one on one. He goes to shoot it, and LeBron just tosses it, and it was almost like, please, like who do you think you are? Like do you think you can bring that in here on me? Like, I couldn't agree more with what you said, and I think that it was a huge moment. I'm interested to see how it comes out in Game 7. Um, I think the start of Game 7 is going to be paramount. Whoever, you know, the Golden State's so dangerous. If they come out and get on one of their crazy hot starts, it could be trouble for Cleveland. But if Cleveland comes out and they, and, you know, LeBron's killing and Steph misses a few shots, it's going to be a long night for them. And but I couldn't agree more. I, I thought that was, uh, like I said, it was my favorite moment of the NBA season for all the reasons you just <laughs> said. And it's going to be interesting moving forward. You know, that could be a big mental swing. LeBron kind of taking back the throne. Like this is, I've never left. This is mine. Like I'm the king here. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting. It was awesome. I mean, the last that game last night was everything you could ever want in an NBA game. Well, I'll tell you something. You know about hey, I'm still the king kind of moment. Um, I know from people that last year, LeBron James doesn't win MVP after sitting out, I don't know what it was, 20 games or so. Um, he doesn't win MVP, which no one was shocked by because LeBron had missed a, a chunk of the season. And he privately was stunned and he could not believe that Steph was the MVP. Now he has a lot of respect for Steph. He watched him play a lot. He was a fan when Steph was in college. I, he's still a fan now. They, they're buddies, but I think he could not get over the fact that for the first time since probably after his rookie season, that people weren't saying that he was the best player in the league. And all of a sudden it was like, what these people like, it was stunning to him. He was shocked by it and could not get over it this year. Steph goes and wins unanimous MVP. And I've been saying for a while now that has to be the X factor in the playoffs and in this series in particular that LeBron is a driven guy. He is motivated. He's got a chip on his shoulder. And again, I I keep saying I don't want to make Jordan comparisons and then I, I go and do it over and over. But, you know, we heard the Jordan Hall of Fame speech in which he went back in time and, and talked about all the people, whether it was, you know, uh, Russell in the finals or you know, his high school coach or a guy on his high school team that was supposed to be better than him. Like all of these things that that great players use as motivation. And people always thought like Michael Jordan was finding motivation where it didn't, you know, it, it there were controversies where it didn't even exist because he was trying to find ways to motivate himself. But in this instance, as far as who's the most valuable player in the league and who's the best player in the league, I can tell you it is a very real motivation for LeBron right now. Oh, no question. And LeBron is very in tune with his legacy and what people think about him, maybe more so than anyone. And you know that from now until Sunday, he knows very well that if he can pull this off, he, his legacy is – he's already one of the best players ever, but his legacy goes up a notch. And he, you know, he cements himself in that conversation, the top two players ever. And without a doubt, LeBron knows that he, he wants that crown back. He wants everybody saying on Sunday, well – how did we ever question who the best player in the NBA is? How silly were we to think that <laughs> Steph Curry could be the best player in the NBA? Look at these numbers LeBron did. Look what he did. And he's very in tune with that. And I really hope he comes out with that killer mentality, 
he has the mentality, you know, he's going to take 25 to 30 shots because I think that's the winning recipe. I think it's got to be Kyrie and LeBron all day. And uh, you, you said it perfectly. I mean, LeBron knows, and I think he's coming for that crown. And if I'm the Warriors and I'm Steph, I am really hitting myself that I allowed it to get this far. How crazy is it, Matt? Like, we, we've talked about all these moments that, you know, how wild it is that we're now here at a game seven, the just – you know, how the Cavs have, have made this unbelievable comeback. Um, the Warriors, how, you know, they battled back last series. I mentioned all that. But just individually, Steph, LeBron, legacy game, the, the haters on both sides. I mean, people have ripped Steph unfairly. Um, people have ripped LeBron unfairly. And now, all of a sudden, it's almost like, I, I don't know in the last decade that we've had a game that has more importance on narrative and how we'll remember things in the NBA than this particular game seven. Um, and I, I don't know if you can think of one, but I, I cannot think of one in which the Warriors, how we'll remember their season, LeBron, how we're going to remember him all time, uh, Steph, you know, his level of greatness. I mean, if Steph comes out in game seven and puts up 40 and the Warriors win by 15, all of a sudden he cements himself on a, on a different level as well. So I, I don't know if you can think of one, Matt, but, but that's the coolest part about this Game 7 for me. Absolutely, me too. I think that's why everyone is so ready. I mean, the implications are so great in terms of the NBA and you know guys' legacies and how teams are going to be remembered and how individuals. And I mean, I can't remember a bigger moment since probably Jordan hit the shot in 98, and that was different. That was more just uh, cementing that whole six-year run. Well, six years, six championships over eight years, and mm -hmm. you know you knew that that was going to be the last of MJ and Phil and Scotty all together. That had a different kind of feeling, a more finality to it, but it was exciting in a different way. But everything in between then seems inconsequential compared to this game. Even, you know, the, the Celtics and Lakers in 2010, that, that time with Kobe at his peak, I mean, that was exciting against KG, but, you know, Kobe had already cemented himself as one of the best players ever. You, you don't look differently at KG because they lost the second finals against the Lakers. You know, this yeah. is going to carry implications for LeBron and Steph over their whole lifetimes and how they're going to be remembered in the NBA laurels. And there's, I don't think there's been anything like that since Michael Jordan retired. Matt, in terms of how we might see game seven play out on the court from the Warriors perspective. We, you know, Andrew Bogut, we know is, is going to be out. Andre Iguodala nursing a bad back. Um, we, we all saw how he was straining during the game in, in game six. So certainly that's going to be impactful, but they will get Draymond Green, Drew Green on his home court. And we know what that means when Draymond's playing at home, he, he's going to be just a different guy altogether. And Harrison Barnes, we talked about earlier, what, what kind of mess he is mentally. Brandon Rush played some valuable minutes, you know, off the bench defensively for the Warriors last night. Um, what do you think ends up being the, the big part of their rotation? Who are they going to depend on? And defensively, any any different changes you, you, you foresee? Obviously, a lot is going to depend on whether Andre Iguodala can play or not. But I think even bigger than that, I think what it's all going to come down to is, one, what kind of play they get out of Draymond Green. If Draymond Green is the guy who makes five three-pointers and spreads the court for them, then it totally opens up their offense 
if he's not, if he misses his first couple threes and he's hesitant and it's all on Steph or, or Clay, then it's going to be a different game. But at the end of the day, I really believe that this is going to be about Steph and Clay versus LeBron and Kyrie. And you can't ask for anything better. And if I'm Ty Lue, I'm meeting with, with uh, LeBron and Kyrie and I'm saying, are these two guys really better than you? Are you going to let these two guys beat us? Because if Stephen, I mean, if LeBron and Kyrie come out and play the way they did in game five or game six, I think no matter what they do, unless Steph has just one of his insane games, I think Cleveland's going to be the champions. Two things that I, that I want to I want to mention in regards to that. One, Kyrie, who we really haven't spent much time talking about, you know, put up 23 points last night. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk back and forth when we know what his game is going to be. He's going to try to beat you off the dribble. Um, he's an unbelievable finisher around the hoop when his shots falling. Um, I mean, he, he's an extremely confident player. There's no doubt about that, but he's also not a pass first point guard. He's not a guy that's going to get other guys in the offense, which is why this whole thing with LeBron and Kyrie seems to really, um, work so well. I think something so fascinating about the Kyrie factor is that I think he has benefited extremely from the fact that Kevin Love has become sort of a non-factor and not their big three, and that it's just Kyrie and LeBron, and it's opened up the opportunity for Kyrie to really be able to create his own offense. Um, and I, I notice it most of all when, you know, look, we've seen Klay Thompson guarding Kyrie for the majority of the time, and when that happens, even as great a defender as Klay Thompson is, Kyrie is such a wonderful one-on-one offensive player that Clay or Steph, whoever, or any of the other perimeter guys that are stepping out to guard Kyrie, they have to help. And I I think it's got to be an amazing feeling for LeBron that Kyrie, even though he's not a pass-first guy, he's drawing extra attention. And that's a new thing for LeBron. So it's almost like with Kevin Love not a factor – and they know they're the big two and the two guys that are so important to this team. I find it fascinating that LeBron is able to now benefit. You know, he could take plays off, for lack of a better term, you know, offensive possessions off and, and not have to worry about exerting all his energy. Um, that's got to be a good feeling. And I, I'm curious if to, as to you, if you think it's sort of the same way or, or how you feel about Kyrie in that regard. Yeah, two things stood out about what you just said. One, you can't underestimate how important it is that LeBron gets to take possessions essentially off and Kyrie can just go get baskets for them because LeBron does so much, and especially the way he's playing defensively, he's all around the court. He needs those possessions off. And that was one of the things last year you saw at the end of the finals. He just got burnt out. He just got exhausted. He couldn't do it anymore after they got the lead 2-1. And then the second thing, I completely agree with Kevin Love. They've totally eliminated the, the you know, just kind of token post-ups that they give Kevin Love and the token mid-post catches. And he's just standing in the corner, spreading the court, a lot like what they did with Chris Bosh in Miami for those years. And the, he's more valuable to them like that as just a guy who's going to spread the court. You give Kyrie and LeBron the ball, you let them do their thing, and you don't waste, you essentially waste possessions by just letting Kevin Love go one-on-one because – even if he scores, you're taking the ball out of Kevin, Kyrie Irving and LeBron's hands, and I'd much rather have it in their hands with them creating either for themselves or for their teammates. Interesting thing about Kevin Love, uh, <laughs> the guy's contract is is pretty ridiculous. He's he's uh, going to be making over $21 million next year, 
and his contract keeps going up. And in 2019, 2020, uh, he has a player option, I think, for $25 million. So Kevin Love, certainly a guy that's uh, on a, a very big contract, although this summer contracts are going to be enormous. And on the flip side, Harrison Barnes is a guy that's it's going to be a max player likely. And I, I have to think that's impacting him somewhat, the idea that he's, you know, in a contract year and, and seeing this happen in the finals. And regardless, people still have money and there aren't that many free agents to go around. So I, Harrison Barnes is going to get paid regardless of what happens in in game seven. But Matt, I, one thing I really wanted to ask you about was the idea that it is now we're sitting here on Friday recording this and the finals is on Sunday. You've been in these situations where you are about to play in just a huge high stakes game that's so important to your future. Um, it, it's the reason we, we play the game. It's the reason we, you know, what we dream about when we're young kids and, uh, you know, shooting in the driveway. Obviously, you got a chance to live out some of yours and, and I didn't. But but still, what are these next few days like? Well, I'll tell you what, if anybody who tells you that, you know, Harrison Barnes says, I'm not thinking about my contract, I'm just worried about this game, he's lying. There's just no way around it. It's it's your future. It's the future of your family. It's what you've worked for your whole life. It's on your mind. You're, you're thinking, you know, has this stretch of two for 22 like, hurt my chances of being a max player? Do I have to come out and make all my shots in game seven? And all that stuff factors into how you play and your mentality. I, I, I mean, I, I envy him in that he's getting a chance to do that. But at the same time, I don't envy him that it's a stressful place to be. And Kevin loves the opposite. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders because – People like us, we're sitting there saying this guy's making $20 million and he can't get 10 points and 10 rebounds. You know, he all he is is stretching the court. So it's an interesting dynamic. You, you get an interesting look from both those guys at both sides of it and the different stresses. But um, I think Kevin Love has done a good job. You know, he said all the right things. He's accepted the fact that he's essentially going to be a decoy. And, you know, if they end up winning the championship, you know, he'll, he'll get the same he'll, – he'll get a lot of credit and – you know, everything will be good. If not, you know, they're going to say, oh, we got to break up the Cavs team this offseason. So it's pretty wild how the, not only the implications of the, you know, the future in terms of how we're going to look at LeBron and Steph, but the, the immediate future of some of these other guys are going to be directly reflected on how this game plays out on Sunday. But, Matt, how about just for all these guys, for LeBron, for Kyrie, Tristan Thompson, Steph, Clay, Steve Kerr, what are these next few days like? I'll tell you, for me, it was always, man, I wish I could play right now. It was torture. Whenever, especially especially for Steph and those guys, you know, they've lost a couple in a row. They, Steph, he's got tossed out of the game. I know for sure Steph's thinking, man, I wish the game was today. I want to get this game over with. And I imagine it's a lot like that for both sides. That's how it was for me. I, I hated the time in between, especially if you were coming off a bad game. You just want to play that game right away. And tip-off can't come fast enough. I mean, I imagine even if these guys have their routines on Sunday where they nap and they're usually – I know me, at the end of the season, if I was playing in a championship, and obviously it was a different level overseas, but, you know, the, the highest level over there for us, and if you're playing for a championship, it meant something. I would have trouble taking my naps on game days. In between in between the games, I was anxious, and I, I just – I couldn't get to the game fast enough. And I imagine that all those guys feel that way because – you know, the waiting is the hardest part. What did you do in your downtime when you weren't shooting around and napping and or eating? 
what did what do what did you do during that stretch to to pass the time? It was torture for me. I mean, I you know over there especially, we'd have three or four games between playoff game, days before playoff games. I mean, I would just be literally in my room or in my my house just watching series and doing everything I could to pass the time. I'd I'd be trying to go to bed early, but it, it really is. It's the hardest time of the year because you just want to play so bad and you're just so anxious for whatever the result's going to be to come. And it sounds strange to ha- to say that, but that's that's really the truth for me. It was always like, all right, well, whatever's going to happen, like let's just get this over with. I can't stand to wait anymore. And I would just watch series. I'd go for walks downtown. Whatever I could do to pass the time, I'd Skype with my family. It was brutal. I mean, waiting. And I can't – I mean, this is the highest stakes, so these guys must just be going crazy. At least, you know, they have to travel across the country and they change the scenery or probably do them good. And it, I'm sure it will come faster than they think, but – I, I don't envy them waiting those few days because it's got to be the most anxious time of their life. Well, what was it, Matt? The 2005 SEC tournament, you were MVP? 2005, yeah, but those games come so quick. You play every day. You have no time in between. You're just like, oh, i got to put my feet up and get ready for the next the next day. Well, I know Corey Brewer at the time had a quote, and he said, Matt's the big shot guy. That's what he does. So obviously you're very familiar with being in big spots and, uh, and knowing how to, how to step up. Um, uh, Matt, uh, th- this is going to be awesome. Game seven. And here's the really cool part. Game seven on Sunday. And then um, we're going to start releasing this uh, NBA draft series on the Great Point Podcast next week. I, I cannot wait to-, to talk some draft. Me too. But before we go, I got to hear your prediction. Come on. I pick Cleveland. Who you got? I got Cleveland as well. I think it's pretty hard My to go man. against this momentum. <laughs> so we'll revisit all this. And uh, as always, Matt, you're the best. I really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, Adam. This was great. So my thanks to Matt Walsh. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattyVincent44. You can follow me, Adam Stanko, on Twitter at NaismithLiz. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter at GreatPointPod. Please Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on iTunes and give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, Hopefully it's a positive one, but uh, we're having some fun and want to continue doing this podcast. So thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R and B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And with help from Albertsons, it doesn't have to be the most stressful. Stop in for great deals on holiday favorites so you can stretch your budget and celebrate more. Pick up fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, just $1.59 a pound when you buy a value pack of three pounds or more. And get General Mills cereal 10.7 to 13 ounces, selected varieties, $1.57 when you buy two. Tastier meals, sweeter deals, happier holidays. Albertsons, it's just better.